series called Heed the Warning. Heed the Warning. And as Jude is writing in this very small book, the second to last book in the Bible, he is warning Christians about false teaching and false teachers and false doctrine. Every cult that has ever come out of the, the Christian church has started with false teachers. Every lie that Christians believe has come from false teachers. The Bible even says that those who are uh, preaching false doctrine, they have a very difficult time saying that Jesus Christ is God. And today we worship Jesus who is God. He is the God. He's not a creation of God. He's not an offspring of God. Jesus Christ is God. He's God in the flesh. He came and he lived a life on this earth in order to pay the penalty for our sins to purchase for us a place in heaven. And we ought to be worshiping and praising his dear name. And we ought to be about the truth that Jesus Christ is God. So today the title of my sermon is Just One Time Won't Hurt. Just One Time Won't Hurt. And we're going to be in Jude verse 11. So if you're in the book of Jude verse 11, once you've found your place, if you'll stand to your feet, and we're going to read that verse, and then we're going to entrust our service into the Lord's hands. Amen? So, in Jude verse 11, the Bible says this, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. Today we're going to focus on plunging into Balaam's error for profit. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your holy and inspired word, as we know the Bible teaches that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it divides the very dividing asunder of soul and spirit, that it searches our hearts, that it reveals our wickedness, it reveals our sinfulness, but it also reveals your glory and your grace and your goodness. So today, God, as we celebrate the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we celebrate a win for life because we know that all life is made in your image. That the, both the unborn and the born, both the impoverished and the rich, both the dark-skinned and the light-skinned, all have been created in your image. We are not just a church for the unborn, but we are a church for all life. And today, God, we celebrate a win for life. And Lord, as we consider heeding the warning of Scripture in false teaching, I pray that you would enlighten our minds to your truth, your truth which is objective truth, your truth which is found in the Word of God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I remember a time when I was little. I was probably four or five years old. And my family and I lived in a house in Fairview. Uh, it had a big wood stove in the kitchen. And my dad would usually keep a fire in it during the wintertime to keep us warm. Well, I remember my dad specifically saying not to touch the wood stove because it would burn me and my sister. But in my mind, I had somehow reason that touching it just one time wouldn't hurt. So I remember I took my thumb, just like this, and I pressed it against the stovepipe that came out of the back of the stove. And it goes without saying that it hurt severely, and a huge blister immediately popped up on my thumb. You know, in my mind, I was reasoning out that just one time won't hurt. You know, just one little touch. Just one little time, it'll be all right. You know, my dad gave me some advice, but what does he know? Just one time won't hurt. So as we think about just one time won't hurt, I want us to look at this man named Balaam. And I just read in Jude, verse 11, Balaam was a man in the Old Testament, we're going to read a lot more about, 
And his sin and his wickedness was that he chose to nosedive into sin for profit and for money. So the first thing that I want us to consider as we're looking at this man named Balaam mentioned in Jude is that he was going through the motions. Now, if you're taking notes, write that down, going through the motions. So now, there in your Bibles, if you will, go ahead and turn back with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book in the Bible. So we're going to go to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. So as Jude is mentioning these people there in verse 11, he mentions Cain and Abel, he mentions Balaam, and then he mentions Korah. He's mentioning these Old Testament examples for a purpose. It's to communicate the truth that he's trying to teach in the book of Jude. He's trying to communicate that when we rebel against God and when we choose our own path, when we choose sin, whether it's just one time or many times, that we are bringing upon ourselves the judgment of a holy God. And we are bringing upon ourselves destruction and demise. That's why just one time actually does hurt. So Numbers chapter 22, and we're going to begin in verse 7. Numbers chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. And here's what the Bible says about Balaam. The elders of Moab and Midian, these were two groups of people who were not Israelites, who were in Canaan land already, departed with fees for divination in hand. And we'll talk about that in a minute. They came to Balaam and reported Balak's words to him. Balak was the king of the Midianites. He said to them, spend the night here, and I will give you the answer the Lord tells me. So the officials of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? Balaam replied to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent this message to me. Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the surface of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. I may be able to fight against them and drive them away. It says, Then God said to Balaam, You are not to go with them. You are not to curse this people, for they are blessed. So Balaam got up the next morning and said to Balak's officials, Go back to your land, because the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The officials of Moab arose, returned to Balak, and reported, Balaam refused to come with us. Balak sent officials again, who were more numerous and higher in rank than the others. They came to Balaam and said to him, This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Let nothing keep you from coming to me, for I will greatly honor you and do whatever you ask me, so please come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam responded to the servant of Balak, If Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the command of the Lord my God to do anything small or great. Please stay here overnight, as the others did, so that I may find out what else the Lord has to tell me. So a little backstory to what's going on here. The children of Israel have come out of the wilderness, okay, or out of the land of Egypt, excuse me. Pharaoh has finally determined that he is going to let the children of Israel go. So as the children of Israel come out of Egypt, they come into the wilderness where there are some people who already dwell. And as King Balak is looking out into the distance, he sees the nation of Israel, this huge, massive multitude of people who were once slaves in Egypt and now have been freed. And he says they are so massive in numbers, they are going to literally destroy this land. They're going to consume all the resources. Me and my people will cease to exist because of the Israelites. They're so vast in number that even if I were to attack them, I could not defeat them. So Balak comes up with a plan, King Balak. 
He knows of this fella named Balaam, this fella who lived down by the Euphrates River. And Balaam was known for his ability to cast spells, to use magic, to curse people. So Balak's idea is, let's go pay off Balaam so he will curse the children of Israel, and then I'll be able to defeat them because of this curse. You know, going through the motions is something that's very, very dangerous. I worked at a manufacturing plant for 10 years before God called me into full-time ministry. The plant that I worked at, as most do, had a time clock at the employee entrance. Uh, if you didn't clock in, guess what? You didn't get paid. And I can remember several times when I would begin work and I would be standing there working and I would be racking my brain because I couldn't remember if I'd clocked in or not. Later on in the shift, I would ask my boss to check and he would check and assure me that I did clock in. And you may be asking, Ben, how in the world did you not remember clocking in? Well, it's very simple. I was going through the motions. I would show up the same time, the same place, every day for work. I would go in, I would hit the clock. And it was almost like I was a robot. You know, we all do this, and it's just human nature. You know, we're creatures of habit. I would park my, in my spot, I would walk in the door, I would hit the clock, I would go prepare for work, and then I'd be at my workstation when it was time to start work. And because of just that robotic day-in and day-out motion, I was doing those things without really letting them register with my mind. So then my mind was having trouble tracing back to know for sure if I had clocked in or not. Well, did you know that we as Christians can do the same thing? We can end up going through the motions. Here, Balaam was actually going through the motions. Now, as we read that about Balaam, you might be thinking to yourself, you know, he said stuff like, the Lord my God. And when he would go and he would inquire from God about what to do about Balak's request, he would even say things like, well, God has told me that I can't do this, so therefore I can't do that. And as we're thinking about that, we're, we're thinking, well, he seems like a pretty good guy. You know, he's hearing from God. He seems to be obeying God. It seems that everything is just right. It seems that he's saying the right things, and he's doing the right things. He kind of had the response down to a T. You know, he knew the drill. And when Balak's men came, he even said, I have to call upon the Lord my God. So on the surface, you know, you're thinking, hey, Balaam had it together. And to be honest, as I was studying this, I was having trouble figuring out what's wrong with Balaam. He seems like a really great guy. And if we were going to figure out who would be a good model Christian, many of us might would pick Balaam because it seems that he obeyed God. But then when you begin to search the Scripture deeper, you start to realize that all that talk was just talk. You start to realize that he knew what to say, when to say it. Kind of like in church, we know when to stand, we know when to sit, we know what time worship starts. But are we really here? Are our minds really engaging in worshiping the Lord? Or are we just checking a box? Are we just going through those robotic motions? Well, I just got to get this checked off my list. And I understand, you know, we can't just be bubbly and shouting the house down every week. But there ought to be a genuineness in our hearts when we come to God's house. There ought to be an intentional preparation that takes place before we come here. See, a lot of people come to church to get prepared. They say, well, i got to go to church to get cleaned up. 
I got to go to church to get my mind right. I got to go to church to get ready for the next week. But what we ought to be saying is, I got to get ready before I go to church. Hey, I got to get cleaned up before I go into the assembly of God's people. Because here's the thing. When we come in as a congregation into God's house, worshiping the Lord and praising his name, we have to understand that if we're carrying a bunch of sin in our lives, if we're carrying a bunch of junk in our lives, it can hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the most sensitive person in the place today, okay? And what I mean by that is he cannot dwell where sin dwells. Now, I understand we're all sinners, okay? Don't get me wrong there. I understand that we mess up. But if you are holding on to a repetitive lifestyle of sin with a refusal to repent, and then you're bringing that into God's house, there are consequences for that in the spiritual world. There are consequences for that in how God can move in a service. Listen, when we all come expectant and expecting God to do something great, and we all have our hearts ready to receive what he's going to do, hey, listen, he'll come in and he'll show off. Because that's just how our God is. But if we come in and, oh, man, it's raining and I've had a rough week and I'm tired and, you know what, yeah, I've got some sin in my life, but, oh, well, I'll take care of that later. But I'm going to go to church today. And you bring all that in, it does affect the service. That's why it's not just about you. It's about the collection of the saints as we come together. And here as we see Balaam, we see he's a great guy, but then... You have to go back to verse 7 of chapter 22, where the elders of Moab and Midian departed with fees for divination in hand. They came to Balaam and reported Balak's words to him. You say, Ben, what does that mean? Here, we understand that Balaam had a reputation of using spiritual darkness to cast spells, of using spiritual darkness to do evil. Now you may say, Ben, that's, that's fairy tale stuff, right? I mean, the spiritual realm is not really real, is it? No, it is real. The Bible teaches that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against darkness that we can't even see sometimes. And here Balaam is a man who has a reputation of reaching into that dark realm and casting spells and conjuring up curses. Because if you see here, this delegation was sent out with money in hand to pay Balaam for his use of spiritual darkness, for the fees for divination. It was almost like Balaam had a fee schedule. You know, a lot of times we think about different businesses, and, you know, they'll charge you this much for a tune-up. They'll charge you this much for breaks. They'll charge you this much for a radiator flush, whatever it may be. Well, evidently, Balaam had some known fees that he would charge for his services. And here, we've got this delegation coming with fees in hand, ready to pay the man to curse God's children. Now, as we think about it, we start to see, wow, he really wasn't all he was cracked up to be. He was going through the motions. He was just saying what he needed to say, doing what he needed to do to come across as, God, oh, I'm God, I'm on your side. And God, I'm, I'm trying to do this for you. And, oh, God, if you tell me not, oh, I won't do that. Don't worry. But behind the scenes, he's receiving money to tap in to a dark and spiritual realm. Well, the second thing that we're going to see here is not only did he go through the motions, 
but he also had an evil desire in his heart. So if you're taking notes, write that down, an evil desire. And as we look at Balaam, we're going to be able to see a reflection of how sin works in all of our lives, in how the, the complacency and the, the, just the apathy that begins to work in our lives begins to numb us to God's presence. It begins to numb us to what God is doing. And as we go through the motions, we've reasoned with ourselves that we're doing all right, but in reality, we are completely in opposition to God. And in reality, we are completely going against the character and the desires and the morals of our God. So here, as we look at this evil desire, if you will, go ahead and go down to verse 20 in chapter 22. Because here, Balaam has sought God a couple of times, and every time God has told him, you better not curse the children of Israel, they're blessed. Go back and tell King Balak that I'm not going to allow you to do that. Well, now we get to the point where Balak does not stop. He pursues Balaam and pursues Balaam because his desire is to destroy God's children, Israel. And his desire is to annihilate them. So he continues to push forward to try to convince Balaam to curse the children of Israel. Beginning in chapter 22, verse 20, the Bible says this, if you'll look there. God came to Balaam at night and said to him, Since these men have come to summon you, get up and go with them, but you must only do what I tell you. When he got up in the morning, Balaam saddled his donkey and went with the officials of Moab. Verse 22, But God was incensed that Balaam was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand on the path to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey, it says, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing on the path with a drawn sword in hand, she turned off the path and went into the field. So Balaam hit her to return her to the path. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow passage between the vineyards with a stone wall on either side. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord and pressed herself against the wall, squeezing Balaam's foot against it. So he hit her once again. The angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn to the right or the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she crouched down under Balaam. So he became furious and beat the donkey with a stick. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she asked Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You made me look like a fool. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you now. But the donkey said, Am I not the donkey you've ridden all your life until today? Have I ever treated you this way before? No, he replied. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the path with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam knelt low and bowed in worship on his face. Then the angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? Look, I came out to oppose you because I consider what you are doing to be evil. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away from me, I would have killed you by now and let her live. Verse 34, Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you were standing in the path to confront me. And now, if it is evil in your sight, I will go back. Well, here we have Balaam pursuing again and going to King Balak. Here, it wasn't just the delegation coming to Balaam, but now Balaam is going to the king. He is traveling on the back of a donkey to King Balak. And here, it gets kind of confusing 
And I want to kind of address this a little bit because in verse 20, it seems that God is giving Balaam the permission to go. And different translations of the Bible actually translate one word differently. In verse 20, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, Since these men. The word since there in some translations is translated if. There's a lot of debate about which proper word to use in English. Uh, That Hebrew word there actually can be translated if or since. If it was if, then many scholars say that possibly the reason that God was angry with Balaam was because Balaam did not wait on the men to come to him and prompt him to go. Uh, Those who would say since is the correct word would say that God did give him permission to go, but at some point between the time God gave him the permission and he actually saddled the donkey and left, there was some sort of sin going on in his heart that was causing God to be angry with him. But regardless of how you translate that word since or if in verse 20, it's understandable that something evil was going on in the heart of Balaam, or else God would not have been angry with him. It's really neat to see how the angel of the Lord gets involved in this. And a lot of times when you see that terminology, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what's called as a Christophany or a theophany. Now, a lot of times we think, well, Jesus started in Bethlehem, didn't he? In that manger, isn't that where Jesus got his start? No, remember we said Jesus is God. Jesus has always existed. He's eternally pre-existent. He's eternally self-existent. Jesus does not have a beginning because he's God. So Jesus was at work in the Old Testament. And Jesus made himself appear to people in the Old Testament. So here you have the Lord Jesus Christ holding this sword, about to cut the head of Balaam off the moment the donkey rides by him. And the donkey's got enough sense to say, we don't need to go that way. But you got Balaam, who is a human being, who has even spoken to God before, so numb to the movement of God, so numb to the direction of God, that he has no idea what's going on. To the point where he has to rely upon the wisdom of a donkey to save his life. And then we think about us. We think about going through the motions. And then we think about how going through the motions will lead us into a place to have evil desires in our heart. It numbs us to the direction that God has in our life. Hey, you may say, Ben, why haven't I heard from God? Well, why isn't God moving in my life? Well, it could be because you've been going through the motions. It could be because you have allowed evil desire to set up place and residence in your heart. And see, what happens as Christians is if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, you're always saved. The Bible teaches that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. But what happens when you're in the relationship with Jesus, when you allow sin to come into your life, it breaks fellowship with Jesus. It doesn't make the relationship null and void, but it simply breaks fellowship. It's kind of like this. If I have a best friend and my friend and I get in a fight and we don't talk for three weeks, well, during those three weeks, our fellowship is broken. Well, that's how it works with Jesus. When we regard sin in our life, the Lord is not able to work in us like he once did. And that's when we feel that separation. Well, right here, Balaam is so far off in his evil desires, so far off in in going after his own agenda, so far off in just going through the motions and continuing to practice dark magic and doing all these horrible things that he doesn't even realize that his head's about to come off. 
and has to rely on a donkey. Now, it's pretty bad when God Almighty has to give a donkey the power to speak because we're too ignorant and hard-headed to listen to God. Amen? That's rough. And I hope and pray that I'm not that hard-headed. You know, and I hope and pray none of you guys are. Hey, you know what? Don't make God have to go and make a donkey speak before you're willing to listen to him. Today, God can soften your heart to the movement of the Holy Spirit but we've got to repent of going through the motions, and we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to search our heart. And if those evil desires are residing in our heart like they were with Balaam, we've got to be open to the Holy Spirit evaluating our heart. And your prayer should be something like this. Holy Spirit, if there's anything in my life, anything in my heart that shouldn't be there, would you please show it to me? And Holy Spirit, if you show it to me, I commit to you that I'll repent. I'll turn from it, and I'll give it to you, and I won't go back to it like a dog returns to its vomit. I'll let you have it, God. And you know what? That's repentance, and that's how a calloused Christian who goes through the motions can then become a sensitive Christian who is now hearing the Holy Spirit move, move in their life. I think it's plain enough to see that Balaam's heart was pulling him, and he was allowing it to, to something evil and something wicked. And our main verse really testifies of the evil that was in the heart of Balaam the whole time. If you guys remember Jude 11, woe to them. Now that's a warning. That is, that is a, a, basically a sentence. It's going to be bad for them. Woe to them. For they have gone the way of Cain and have plunged into Balaam's error for profit. Well, now the Scripture testifies of the Scripture. Isn't that awesome how God's Word works? You may not get the full story in Numbers, but it's awesome how the fully revealed Word of God gives you more details later on. And now we realize, and we're going to see this also in Numbers, but the reason Balaam was wrong, the reason God's anger was burning toward Balaam is because he was going to King Balak hoping that God would finally give him the okay to curse the children of Israel because he wanted to get paid. He wanted the fees for divination. He wanted the money. And he was willing to curse an entire civilization to get the money. But he did have enough sense to know that if God does not allow me to do it, I'm not going to be able to do it. So as we look at this donkey and we, as we look at what happened here, Balaam arrives as he's riding on his donkey. He has this encounter with the angel of the Lord. He continues to ride toward King Balak because God says, go ahead and continue on. And Balaam continues his rhetoric about how he cannot speak anything that the Lord does not allow him to speak. He's continuing to go through the motions. He's continuing to use the right words and say the right things when in reality they were completely hollow and meant nothing. He told King Balak, listen... Even if you give me a storehouse full of silver and gold, I still can't make this happen. God won't allow me to do that. Numbers chapter 24 verse 1 shows that even though Balaam is seeking prophecy from God, he is also participating in omens as he's doing this. If you want to turn over there to Numbers chapter 24 verse 1, we see that his heart was never right with God. Verse 21 uh, of chapter 24 since Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go to seek omens as on previous occasions. And omens are very closely related to divination. It is the seeking out of spiritual darkness to accomplish some sort of task in this world. 
And that's really what Balaam's whole world was about, was receiving power from demonic forces so that he could make money and so that he could be revered and even feared. So he was still seeking omens up until chapter 24. He was still seeking dark magic even until chapter 24. It goes back to chapter 22, verse 7, with those fees of divination. Then we see in Numbers chapter 24, verses 10 through 14, King Balak becomes angry with Balaam. And you're thinking even more so, this Balaam's got to be a good guy. He's making all the right people mad. You know, he's not doing what King Balak asked him to do. Beginning in verse 10 of chapter 24, the Bible says this, Then Balak became furious with Balaam. It's basically because Balaam kept telling him, I can't curse him, I can't curse him, I don't care what you pay me or how bad you want me to do it, I can't do it. Balak says, I summoned you to put a curse on my enemies, but instead you've blessed them these three times. Now go to your home. I said I would reward you richly, but look, the Lord has denied you a reward. Balaam answered Balak, didn't I previously tell the messengers you sent me, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go against the Lord's command to do anything good or bad of my own will. I, I will say whatever the Lord says. Now, I'm going back to my people, but first, let me warn you what these people will do to your people in the future. Hmm. He almost leaves an open invitation there. We don't really know what happens after this conversation to Balaam until sometime after. He says that he's going to go back home, but I read that some scholars say it may have been that he was going to go back to the place that he was staying when he was with King Balak. We're going to find out later that he actually never went back home. But he actually stayed and continued to work and continued to have dealings with King Balak. And that's where it brings us to our last part of this story, what is known as a catastrophic sin. So if you're taking notes, write that down, a catastrophic sin. And we're going to find that in Numbers chapter 31. Numbers chapter 31. So if you'll turn there a few more chapters forward. Numbers chapter 31, and we're going to start in verse 1. So there's a great sin that is committed in Israel. Basically, the children of Israel begin to take wives for themselves from the Midianites, those who are ruled by King Balak, those of Moab. And as they begin to intermarry and take these women, they begin to worship the gods of the Midianites. They begin to uh, engage in the worship of Baal, who was an idol of the Canaanites. They begin to forsake their god and focus and worship the god of the Midianites. Here in verse 1, the Bible says this of Numbers 31. The Lord spoke to Moses, execute vengeance for the Israelites against the Midianites. After that, you will be gathered to your people. So Moses spoke to the people, equip some of your men for war. They will go against Midian to inflict the Lord's vengeance, vengeance on them. Send 1,000 men to war from each Israelite tribe, which we know are 12 tribes. So 1,000 were recruited from each Israelite tribe out of the thousands in Israel, 12,000 equipped for war. Moses sent 1,000 from each tribe to war. They went with Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, in whose care were the holy objects and signal trumpets. It says they waged war against Midian as the Lord had commanded Moses and killed every male. Along with others slain by them, they killed the Midianite kings, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, 
the five kings of Midian, they also killed Balaam, son of Baor, with the sword. There's Balaam again. Balaam must not have gone back home for too long. And if he did, he came back quite quickly. Because as Israel attacks the nation of Moab, the Midianites, Balaam is caught in the crossfire. And he is intentionally killed by the Israelites. So then we have to look back and we have to ask ourselves, what exactly did Balaam do to bring about this judgment upon himself? Numbers 31 verse 16 says this. Again, Scripture testifies of itself. Numbers 31 verse 16. Yet they are the ones who, at Balaam's advice, incited the Israelites to unfaithfulness against the Lord in the Peor incident, so that the plague came against the Lord's community. Well, now, as we're looking at this man named Balaam, we see how he's going through the motions. We see how he's enticed by this evil desire as he pursues profit for dark magic. And then he says, I'm done, I'm going home. Balak says, go away. But then somewhere in the meantime, he's whispering in the ear of King Balak and says, hey, God may not let me curse the Israelites, but I got a way that we can get them cursed anyways. Send your beautiful young women into the camp of Israel, entice their young men, get them to worship your gods, and we will have cursed Israel. And that's exactly what Balaam did, and that's exactly what King Balak did. Now we understand why he was killed. Now we understand why the judgment of God fell upon Balaam. Even in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, when the New Testament is talking about the seven churches, it says this, But I have a few things against you. You have some here who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites to eat meat sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Now we know what happened. There was a point there where we know Balaam was going through those motions, and, but there was that desire in his heart that maybe, just maybe, God is going to let me curse Israel so I can get paid and so that I can get my money. When his desires aligned with him going through the motions, it brought about a catastrophic sin. It brought about this sin of deception where King Balak is given this evil idea of how to destroy and hurt God's people. You know, as Balaam continued to have these interactions with God, it was what was going on on the inside that was destroying him. And you know, you can look at someone, you can even look at yourself in the mirror, and you can have this sin in your life, you can have this evil desire residing in your soul, and you're not even going to be able to see it on your own face. You're not actually going to be able to view it because it's a matter of the heart. And when I say the heart, I'm talking about your innermost being, your innermost desires. The center of your existence is what we're talking about when we say the heart. So Balaam's one time, he had done so good. He said no, he said no, he said no. If God won't let me do it, I can't do it. But just the one time. Just the one little taste, just the, the last little pursuit of money for evil. Just one time, and he died. One time, judgment was ultimate upon Balaam's head. And I truly don't believe that Balaam was a man of faith. I believe that he used God when he needed God. 
When he didn't need God, he didn't, he didn't care about him. I think we have some of those today, too. You know, God is not a genie. God is not an eight ball where you can just ask him to give you advice. He's not just one of these that just, God, I want a red car. Can I get a car? He's not one of these that you just go to when you need him. He wants a relationship. He wants fellowship with you. Hey, he wants someone who loves him for who he is, not just for what they can get out of him. And here, Balaam's catastrophic sin brought forth the demise. The Bible teaches us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Remember, one time, just one time will hurt. Young people, when you're in relationships and you've got somebody pressuring you to do something that you shouldn't do until you're married, they say one time won't hurt. Hey, I promise you, there's consequences for that one time. Hey, adults, when that co-worker is trying to entice you to get into an extramarital affair and they say, you know what, just one time won't hurt. Hey, I promise you, it'll hurt. Hey, you know what, if, 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 if it's that drug and, and you, know that, you know that you shouldn't do it, you know maybe it's that bottle of pain pills and, and you let that bottle of pain pills just sit in your, in, your, in your bathroom and you just let them sit there and you know they're there and they're calling out to you and, and you know what, just one time won't hurt. I promise you it'll hurt. And before you know it, the desires of your heart are evil and you've committed a catastrophic sin. And a lot of people say, well, I don't understand how I got here from there. I don't understand how I thought I had it all together and now I've stepped out on my wife. Or now I have completely walked out on my family. Or now I have embezzled money from my place of work. Or now I have committed this immorality that has destroyed my reputation that I can never get back. And it's hurt the people that I love the most. Well, let's look at Balaam. He went through the motions. He played with the evil desire. And it got him. It got him. But you know what? There's hope. And I love to save the good news for last. In John 8, Jesus is confronted with the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Y'all remember her? The men of the town had stones in hand ready to kill her. That was the law of Moses. If someone's caught in the act of adultery, they're to be stoned. And as they're standing there ready to kill her, Jesus shows up. And Jesus tells the angry mob, whichever one of you have never sinned, you can throw the first rock at her. You know what that story says? They all left because they were all sinful. Today, maybe you've messed up. Maybe you have committed that big sin. Maybe you are even regarding sin in your heart right now. Did you know that there is grace and forgiveness with the Lord Jesus Christ? That Jesus didn't die so you can stay in your sin. Jesus didn't die so you can continue to live in your guilt, but Jesus died so that you could be set free from the bonds of sin, so that you could be set free from the guilt of your past. Hey, when Jesus hung on the cross, we said this last week, what did he say at the very end? It is finished. You know what that means? There's nothing left to do. There's no other price that needs to be paid. There's no other thing that needs to be done in order to receive forgiveness in all eternity except trusting in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus looked at the woman, he asked her, where are all your accusers? And she said, Lord, they've all left. 
And Jesus looked at her and he said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. Hey, this morning I want to encourage you. Don't just go through the motions. Be somebody who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be someone who calls out to him and says, Lord, remove the callus on my heart. Don't let that evil desire have its way in your life. Quit feeding it. You know, quit giving it the breadcrumbs because it'll always get bigger. Because eventually, if you keep feeding that evil desire, you know what's going to happen. You're going to commit the catastrophic sin, and it's going to destroy your life. Hey, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't be warning you today. If the Lord Jesus didn't love us, he wouldn't have put it in his holy word to warn us in the book of Jude. Woe unto them who have plunged headlong into Balaam's error for profit. Let's pray.